0: I'll ask Kelsey and Adam and Tenley and Abel and Sawyer to come up and light the Advent candle: During the season of Advent, we prepare for the celebration of Christ's birth. Because God demonstrated His love by sending His Son into our world, we have joy. Luke chapter two, verse eight through 11 reads, "And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of God's light into the world. With the coming of the light, there is joy because through C- Christ, we can enter into a, th- a new covenant with God. God, thank that Jesus brought joy into our world. Help us to have your joy in our hearts. Well, looking at the Christ songs, were the announcement of Jesus' coming, was received by different individuals and they reflected in verse their response to the news that Jesus would come. We looked at the Song of Zechariah and Mary and now we look at the Song of Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon is presented as a righteous man, a devout man. He was not a priest, he was a layman. He received a revelation concerning the consolation of Israel. The Old Testament prophets predicted that a couple of things would happen to Israel. Uh, They would experience times of judgment and discomfort, followed by times of consolation and comfort. And after the golden days of King David and King Solomon, they were passed from one nation to another. Terrible times. Assyria, and they were passed along to Babylon, and they were passed along to Persia and Greece and Rome, and they were defeated and conquered and made subject to all these different nations. And what they were told is, following this time of discomfort, something would dramatically shift. A An Anointed One would come. Christ is Greek for Anointed One. Messiah is Hebrew for Anointed One. So when we talk about Jesus the Christ, and Jesus the Messiah was saying the same thing in two different languages. We're talking of one, this anointed one, who would come and bring consolation to Israel. Isaiah talks about the mission of this Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Israel is like a Bible in miniature. That's what it's been called. There are 66 chapters in the Bible. And there are 66 books in the Bible, and there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. In the Bible, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and those are more minor. That's before Christ times. and there are 39 chapters in Isaiah that talk about judgment. And then in the New Testament there's 27 books that begin with Christ and how he has changed the world and there are 27 chapters in Isaiah the last 27 which are chapters that on the tail end of the first 39 chapters of bad news there's 27 chapters of good news beginning in Isaiah chapter 40 and here's what it says comfort comfort my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then Isaiah goes on to talk about the form that this consolation would take. There would be a ruler who would come to reign. And here's what it says in terms of the the kind of ruler this Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one would be. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Zion is another way the Bible refers to Jerusalem. And so what it's saying that after all these terrible events, this Messiah would come and he would comfort those who grieve in Jerusalem and in in the world. Jesus quotes this passage in his hometown of Nazareth when he was introduced and he picked up the the Bible when he was inaugurating his public ministry after having spent 30 years growing up in his family. His father, Joseph, was a carpenter, so he would have been involved in the family business. And then he comes to the place where he moves from just being kind of a layman into being one who travels and will start to proclaim this message. Um, And then when he does so, this is the verse that he uses to inaugurate his public ministry. When you think of somebody coming into public office and they announce that they are running for this or that, then they want to introduce their platform. Here's what Jesus introduces as his platform. But if you want to understand his heart, you understand what he came to do, this is the passage that Jesus used to reflect himself. He comes to bring good news to the poor, to those who were distressed in life, not the ones who are making it the ones who aren't making it those are the ones that Jesus comes and he singles those ones out to be the object of his Messiahship Um, Simeon received a promise that God would not let him die without seeing the Christ the Messiah he's promised he's an old man he says you will not die before you see This Messiah, the one that was promised in the Old Testament, here's what he said, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel." The way the temple in Jerusalem worked, there were courtyards within courtyards, and the outermost courtyards included more and more people the closer you got into the middle courtyard the less and less people could go in so the outermost courtyard was the courtyard of the gentiles anyone could go the first gate anybody could go in there to pass through the second gate you had to be a jew to pass into third gate you had to be a Jewish male and it became more and more restrictive so when Simeon sees Joseph and Mary they are either in the courtyard of the Gentiles or the courtyard of Jewish women because that's as far as Mary could go in and they had come there Uh, Joseph and Mary were going into the temple to dedicate the firstborn according to Jewish law and that's where Simeon stopped them when you had a kid and in a Jewish family, the first born child was called holy to the Lord. And that was the one that belonged to God. That's what that God had set up in the old covenant. So your first kid, you, he was special. And what you would have to do then go to the temple. And in order to keep this child in your family, you had to redeem the child, which is to give to those who represented God a sum of money, and then you could have this child in your home. The the alternative would be to give this child into service in the temple. And then you wouldn't have to pay the money, but if you wanted the child in your home, that's what you did, because this firstborn male from the womb would be called holy to the Lord. Um, When Simeon sees Jesus, he knows that he has seen what God promised to show him. He has seen God's salvation. When you think of salvation, being saved from something, we usually think of a thing to read or a code of ethics to follow. When you think of salvation, people who are saved, we think of salvation as, well, I need to do this or I need to do that. Salvation is not a code of conduct. Simeon is looking at salvation and because salvation is Jesus and that's what there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved when God is sending Jesus he's sending the means whereby we can be saved Um, and so we talk about it at this time when we think of salvation salvation is wrapped up in understanding what God was doing when he sent the Messiah into the world and what he was doing creating a way so that through belief in him we could enter into God's family that's kind of what Jesus comes to do to save us from being outside of a relationship with God and he sends Jesus so that we could be incorporated into a relationship with God and that's why Jesus came notice that seeing God's salvation means seeing Jesus Simeon describes how this salvation will spread to others. He says that Jesus will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Salvation will be beheld by Israelites and be reflected to Gentiles. Glory in the Bible is about the reflection of God's face. So when God reveals himself, He that the revelation of what he says is glory. And so when we look and listen to what God says, we are beholding God's glory. And in the Old Testament, God's glory, the word for glory in the Old Testament is kabod. And the word kabod translated glory, it means something solid. Something kabod is something weighty and solid, it, it's, and that's what glory was like in the Old Testament. God revealed himself as someone who is weighty and authoritative. The New Covenant word for glory, the glory on this side of the cross, is different from the glory that was on the front side of the cross. That was kabo, that's the Hebrew word for glory. The Greek word translated glory is doxa. It's from the word from which we get the word doxology, and it means praise. What doxa is, it is the impression or the feeling or thoughts that you have towards someone. That's what doxa is. It's how you think of someone. I'd like you to imagine. Some of you are going to be traveling this week and some of you are going to be entertaining and people are going to be coming. I want you to think about somebody you haven't seen for a long time. And they knock on the door and you're really glad to see this person. The door opens, they come in, and what ends up happening? Your face lights up. Hey, great to see you And that that is a way to understand glory. Glory is the radiance of your face, the sense of how you feel about. That's the New Testament word for glory. It's reflecting how God feels. And so that's the image that on this side of the cross, we look up at God and we understand his face is reflecting peace and forgiveness and The way glory works, glory is God's revelation of himself. It's when he tells us what he's like, that's the one thing about glory. The second thing is we were created in such a way that our looking at God's glory is how we're transformed. It's how we're changed. It's automatic. That's what we were created for. When we look at glory, our understanding of glory changes us, and there's two kinds. There is the glory in the Old Testament that is weighty, and it produces a sense of, well, a little bit fearful. But God says, You better do this or else, and God seems more like a master. And on this side of the Bible, glory is doxa. It's not God as a master, and God as a father. And we're not slaves, we're sons and daughters. And here's what's happened. As we think about God and understand God's face, His face lights up. For it's because through Christ He welcomes us into His family. As we think about that, and make room for it in our minds. Think about what is God thinking about you. If you thought about God looking at you right now, what does His face look like? If God looked at you, what would he be thinking? What would be reflected in his face? And what we have on this side of the cross, God's not thinking of your sins. He's not saying... And when we understand what he is thinking, his face lights up. Now that might seem, well... That's what salvation is about, is our understanding that because Christ came, God's face lights up. And as we make room in our minds for the fact God looks at me and his face lights up, he's not looking at you thinking, he's looking at you saying, I sent my son and I love you. And as we let that message get in our mind, as we think it, we make room for it, it transforms us. See, that's the way glory works. Glory transforms those who look at it. And when we look at and understand God is reflecting, as we look and understand that, it changes our heart. It doesn't just change how we act. It changes how we think about him. And changing our thoughts and attitudes changes our heart. Um, salvation would be beheld by the Israelites and reflected to Gentiles. Now, in the Jewish world, there were Jews and there were everyone else. Everyone else is Gentiles. And so, none of us here are Jews. I don't think any of them might be, but I'll, let's say there's nobody here is a Jewish extraction. We're all Gentiles. And what Isaiah predicted, he says, arise, shine, and he's talking at this point about a remnant in the nation of Israel. And it's describing when this Messiah would come, many in Israel wouldn't understand and accept, but some would. And those who understood were in the northern part of Israel, and that's not the real religious part of Israel. That's the irreligious part of Israel. They, they didn't do really well religiously. They weren't, they, they, they weren't great followers of God. But here's what it says, arise, shine, your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. This is on the northerners. See, darkness covers the, whole, covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and came to the brightness of your dawn. You know why Jesus came? To shine light into the world, to show us what God is actually like. So here's the way to think of it. Jesus is like the sun. Jewish Christians, the first Jewish Christians, they're like the moon. And we no longer have to walk in darkness. God reflected God's glory initially to that first group of Jewish Christians. And those Jewish Christians were kicked out of Israel, and they were sent into the Roman Empire. And when they went there, they reflected light, and we still have their words in the Bible. And we then understand what God actually thinks about the world. This is good news. Simeon follows up with sad news. This is all good so far. Jesus is going to be a figure who will reflect the light of God's glory to the world. But Simeon follows up and says, those who transmit light and darkness, they will pay a price for doing so. Here's what it says. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. The reason why Simeon talks to the mother, because Simeon understands that when things get dicey with Jesus, and they got really dicey, created real, real problems in the family, Joseph is gonna be dead by that time. We don't know when Joseph died. Sometime between age 12, when Jesus is age 12, and age 30, Joseph died. He was a carpenter. And then the Simeon then describes what's gonna happen because Mary's gonna be alone. She's gonna be a single mother when things get bad. Here's what he said said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus is the one who is set for the falling and rising of many in Israel, a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus would, be, would create incredible controversy in the first century. If you were part of a Jewish family, say that, you're a Jewish family, and some in the family, as Jews believe that Jesus is Messiah and some don't, that's going to split your family in half in the first century, and that happened to family after family. There was be some who they moved towards. There was others that moved away. And if you became a follower of Jesus, you were a criminal, <laughs> because you were believing in someone who was a heretic. And the government then would not take very kindly to that. Israel's government in the first century was a theocracy. So the religious, it's like an Islamic state that the religious leaders are the political leaders. And then if you then worship and do something the political slash religious leaders don't like, they got the police and could send the police because the police were at the beck and call of the religious slash political leaders. And so if you have a family and some of your family believes in a way that the government says don't believe, it's going to create chaos for the family. And what, they're told, what Mary is told is this child is going to not unite Jewish Israel, but he's going to divide it. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. They are going to be those through whom the Messiah comes, but they're going to pay a price. That don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth it's interesting isn't it we'll hear the angels next week they'll talk about peace on earth goodwill towards men but those through whom Jesus reveals himself they don't have a peaceful experience look what it says um, I did not come to bring peace but a sword I have come to turn a man against his father a daughter of against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be members of his own household again that was through belief in Christ some were going to believe some were going to believe and it's going to tear the family apart and that's what happened to family after family in Israel um, those to and through whom God announces the good news here's what Paul says for God who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge, knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What he's describing, those individuals who transmitted this good news would pay a price for doing so. Travis is a mail carrier, and what he does then, he has to follow a lot of rules, and he drops off the things that we all want to get this week, and so gifts and stuff like that. The first Jewish Christians were like God's mail carriers, and in bringing the gifts of knowledge of Jesus to us, they paid a price for doing so and what it describes is that we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body for we who are alive are always being given to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, and life is at work in you. It talks about death is at work in us and life is at work in you. Who's the us and who's the you? Would you agree? They experience very different things. Death is at work in us. Who's the us? Life is at work in you. Who's the you? The us in the first century? Jewish Christians. They were the jars of clay who brought the message of eternal life to us, the Gentiles. And in doing so, they paid a price. They were kicked out of their homeland. They were hated. And the reason that happened to them is because God wanted us to know that salvation is available to us, not just Jews, but Gentiles. It says, and a sword, as far as Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. The sword that he described is not a dagger. It's a broad sword. And when it says this sword, being the mother of Jesus, would cut her heart in half, Mary naturally would have loved her son. But raising Jesus in the family created some heartaches. But it says, Jesus' friends and neighbors didn't believe in him. So it says, coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And again, Joseph at this point is not in the so He must be dead by this time. They go on, aren't all his sisters with us? Jesus had brothers and sisters, pretty big family. Where did this man get these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them only in his hometown and in his own house, prophet without honor they were offended at him not just neighbors and friends but his brothers What it says Jesus went around in Galilee purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life that's what they knew the Jews there were waiting to take his life so listen to what his brothers say when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near Jesus brothers said to him I got a really good idea you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do no one wants to become a public figure acts in secret since you were doing these things show yourself to the world for even his own brothers did not believe in him what describes Jesus created a lot of difficulty and controversy His mother was aware that her son created animosity and controversy with neighbors, animosity and controversy within the very home. It's a difficult time, you know, when you think about Jesus coming to earth. Thanksgiving and Christmas is a wonderful time. But if there is problems in the family, it's a very painful time. Because it's supposed to be a time where so many great things happen and for many of us great things, but for some of us great things don't happen at Christmas because we are in families and although families get along, there's trouble in families sometimes. And when there's family gatherings, it's both nice and not nice. It's both harmonious and not that harmonious. I want you to think about it. That's why the holiday season can be very depressing because we think about I wish I had the family that I think everybody else has. They seem to love to get together, but in my family, when I get together with my family, it's nice, but it's not that. And we end up, when we don't get along well with our family or where there's controversy, is there anything more lonely than being with family and not feeling like you belong? And you know what? Jesus gets that. Think about him. He became a man so that he could experience life within a family. You know what he says to you then? If if you're one of those parents, I don't... Jesus will look at you and say, you know what? I know exactly what that's like. I know exactly what that's like to feel both part of a family and not part of a family. To know that you love your brothers, but they really don't understand you. And they want you to go to Judea and the neighbors and um, we're going to unwrap Christmas gifts in a week we'll discard the wrappings and the containers and at this time then we'll close with this it's wise to be mindful of the containers that the gifts of eternal life were contained in God placed the good news of eternal life into jars of clay. Jewish Christians. And they left their family and they left their livelihood and they left their neighborhood to bring the good news and in so doing, they experienced difficult things. Remember, the pain Mary experienced, the pain her countrymen experienced. We'll close with this. The gift of eternal life is free. Absolutely free. The postage and handling, however, was costly. The gift of eternal life is absolutely free. Those to and through whom God transmitted this gift to us paid a price in doing so. And the reason why is because God wanted you to know that he wants you to be in his forever family. And that's why he sent his son, so that you, through faith in his son, could be part of God's forever family as well. That's why he sent Jesus. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we think about the gift of eternal life and how you sent Christ to be able to announce that that's what your plans were. And those to and through whom you dispatched this news paid a price for doing so. They experienced separation from their family. They were kicked out and kicked into the Roman Empire. And because they were, we hear and know about the good news 2,000 years later. So God, thank you that Jesus reveals your glory like the sun. But thanks as well that the first Jewish Christians, they were like the moon, and they reflected your glory into the places where they went. And God, thanks so much that we, the Gentiles, you love the world, Jews and Gentiles, and that we no longer have to live in darkness because you reflected your glory. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.